Well, welcome everybody. Good morning. And we are so excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you are uh, visiting with us, uh, my name is JP and I'm so excited to be able to uh, spend this time with you. We're so thankful that you would spend uh, a little bit of your time here on a Sunday morning with us. Now, if you are new with us, I want to take just a couple moments to give you an idea of, of who we are here at the church and how we try to be. And so uh, what we look at here is we want to be uh, helping everyone get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church, helping people get plugged in. We want to be a church that we recognize we are not perfect people, but we are people who have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in this world. And then we recognize that we are called to be witnesses to who God is through our words and sharing our faith, but through our actions as well and serving the world. And so the idea of being plugged in, being changed by God and called to be witnesses, that those three terms start with PCC. So like our church initials, it's PCC. And hopefully that serves as a reminder for us to uh, know how we want to be living both as individuals as well as as a church. And so if you are with us, we are so thankful uh, and we're excited to have you join us as we go through the book of James through the summer. Now we are in the middle of a James, a faith that works series, and this is week two. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that typically what we like to do is to kind of take a couple moments to recap where we've been in order to kind of have an idea of where we're going and where God has us. And so we're going to try something a little bit differently through this series. So it'll take me a little bit of time to explain it now. But in future series, uh, future weeks in this series, uh, what you'll do is if you have your notes um, and you have the fill in the blanks, on the back side of that, uh, there's this topic that's, or the top of it just says James. And it's our James series. And it's a way for us uh, to be able to catch up on the notes. So if you weren't here with us last week, uh, the main point from last week is how we respond to both external trials, so external, and internal temptations, how we respond to both external trials and internal temptations is the greatest test of our faith. In future weeks, I'll have that filled out before you even get here, but uh, I didn't do that this time, so I'm still learning too. But we're trying to um, figure out ways in which you could still have a tangible take-home reminder of where we've been as a series, or so far in the series. So we'll be able to add to that every week as we continue to grow together in the series. With that said, if you'll join me in a word of prayer as we dive into James chapter 1, 19 through 27, uh, will you join me as we pray together? Father, we thank you so much that you are here in this place, and we thank you, Lord, that every single person who hears my voice, whether they're in uh, here in this, uh, the room with us, whether they're listening online later, every single person that hears my voice is someone who is created by you. And that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before they've even walked into this room. And I pray, Lord, that they would feel those prayers, they would know that care, and they would experience the love that you have for them uh, through the people here and through your word. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us, that we would have the eyes, the ears, and the heart open to what you would have for us to hear in your word as we talk about hearing the word, and doing the word. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, recently in June 4th, a couple weeks ago, uh, my daughter, Shaylin, my oldest daughter, um, just completed um, her first, or actually it's her second year of, of uh, Girl Scouts, our first full year, but it, she was a daisy. And so we have a picture here of her bridging ceremony uh, from a couple weeks ago. So uh, on the left-hand side, um, she's got her blue daisy tunic, and you can see that she's got like flower petals and everything there. And then after that, after she bridged, she walked across that bridge and she got her, her brown, brownie vest. And um, I took a couple pictures, but this is her power pose. So I wanted that to be the one that you all saw. Um, and so 
if we're, we'll take a moment to look at her tunic, the blue tunic on the left that has to do with the daisies. Now, Girl Scouts, each one of those petals represents uh, a certain character trait or a certain um, aspect of, of, of growing up and having character. And so, you know, some of them might be responsibility, might be respect, and might be all these different things. And so coming up to just a week before the end of that, um, of the, at the bridging time, she still had three of those petals that she hadn't completed yet. And so because of that, I asked her, is this something you want to do? She said, yes. So do you want to do it now? She said, no. So she's like all of us, right? And so, um, so we end up saying, okay, well, let's take the time this afternoon and let's work on them. Because I know my daughter and she loves to achieve things. She loves to do a good job at things. She although she may not want to always do the work in the middle of it, she would be so pleased to be able to, at the end, be like, no, like I completed, I, I did that. that. That's something that she was able to achieve. So we worked on it for a little while. We got it all figured out. I worked on two of them and, and Steph did the other one as well. So she was able to, to have her full tunic, all, her full daisy flower petals all ready to go. And it's something where she could have had a good time being a daisy. Like it could have been good, but sometimes we all can just settle for good because sometimes in order to get to great, there's a lot of work in between good and great. And it's hard and we don't want to do it. In fact, one of those petals was responsibility and the story that she had to listen to and learn and, and in order to get a petal was about how a, someone wanted to like go get ice cream with her cousins, but instead she had responsibilities. And I'm like, does that sound familiar right now? And she's like, don't tell me what to do. No, she didn't say that. Um, because she already got her respect pedal. She's very kind. Uh, but with that said, it's one of those where she knew that, I knew that she would want to do that, and she felt great afterwards. But this chasm between good and great is something I want us to take a couple moments to look at, because there's a book by Jim Collins, who is in the corporate world and writes a lot of leadership books. He wrote one called From Good to Great. I'm going to read a little bit of a trend, a little bit of a, a excerpt, and then we're going to look at a, a portion of it on the screen. But here's what he says first, before we show it on the screen. It says this. He says, I'd like to start with a challenge. Good is the enemy of great. Good is the mortal enemy of great. If you think about it, it's one of the main reasons why we have so few things that become truly great. We, by and large, do not have great schools. Why? Because we have good schools. We, by and large, do not have great government because we have good government, and it works pretty well. Most companies will never become great because most are really quite good. Therein lies much of their main problem. So again, he's looking at this from a corporate uh, just leadership dynamic. But this is what I want us to look at here on the screen. The truth be told, in this great society of abundance that is the modern world, most people will wake up at the end of their lives and need to look back and accept the horrifying truth that they did not have a great life because it is oh so easy to settle for a good life. Good is the enemy of great. Now, why are we starting off looking at leadership principles or why are we taking a moment to read from a leadership book? Because we're going to dive into a passage of scripture this morning that talks about the idea of hearing the word, but also doing the word. And it could be so easy. It is oh so easy to be good Christians who are able to sit and listen to a message once a week. And, and maybe we listen to worship songs sometimes on our car ride. And, and sometimes we pray before meals. And maybe we even remember to pray at other times. And maybe we're good Christians who will, will give every once in a while and serve here and there. And, and we could do good things. And we could live a, quote, good life if we just hear the word. However, our main point for today is this idea that hearing the word is good. I am not saying it's not good. I am not putting it down or anything, but I'm saying hearing the word is good, doing the word 
is great. Many Christians will not live a great life because they think a good life is good enough. That hearing the word is good, but doing the word is great. Many Christians won't live a great life because they think, they think a good life is, quote, good enough. This idea that we cannot just sit and, and listen and hear a sermon or to go to a Bible study and just listen without actually causing something to change in our lives. And so we're going to use a couple just visuals uh, over the, the course of the sermon to dive in to this passage in James chapter 1, 19 through 27 with this main point in mind. If you brought your Bible from home, that's awesome. We're in James 1, 19. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can bring your, use your phone or in front of you in the seat uh, rack right below, there's a church Bible. And if you have the church Bible, we're going to be on page 1,880 in James 1, 19 through 27. And so the first visual that I want us to look at with the idea of hearing the word is, in your notes, it's called the stoplight, hearing the word. And this comes from verse 19 through 21. So let me read this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And as we start off with a, a stoplight, green light, yellow light, red light, we're going to look at this, these, just these two verses here, three verses, and think of something that we need to go with, something we need to slow down with, and something we need to stop. So the green light we have here is the idea of being quick to listen, that if we are driving and a light is green, we're not slowly approaching it. In fact, most of us will start to accelerate a little bit faster because we, we're quick to want to get through that green light. And so we recognize that so often we do the exact opposite, right? Like we're so quick to not listen to what someone is saying, but while they're halfway through what they're saying, we're already formulating our response in order to sound smart, in order to sound impressive, in order to be funny. We're already formulating our response, and in basic communication, we're not valuing someone enough in order to hear what they have to say because we're already thinking about what we're going to say back. And so we're looking at this, and some of you are like, I don't agree. I'm like, well, you're doing it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're looking at this idea of being able to be quick to listen and acknowledgement that it's creating that space to have value and communication with someone in which you speak. And as they speak, then you just listen and you give them your attention. You don't divide it into what you want to say, but you're quick to respond and to listen to them. Because what so often happens is that we need to look at the yellow light, the idea of being slow to speak and slow to anger. That again, this idea that it is so easy for us to do the exact opposite, where we are quick to speak, quick to anger, and we're slow to listen. So we're trying to speak quickly, and we don't even understand what the other person is really saying. We're not giving them the value enough to hear where they are so that we can properly respond and have a dialogue. And it's so easy for us to get this confused. But verse 20 points us to one of the main reasons why being slow to speak and slow to anger is so important. Because verse 20 tells us this, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That if we have kids and they're not doing what we think they should do, or we're trying to train them and they're not listening, and we get angry at them, the anger does not produce the right behavior. They might 
be scared a little bit. They might do it begrudgingly, but it's not going to produce the righteousness. And this righteousness is not the idea of being made right before God in regards to because of Christ's uh, death and sacrifice. This righteousness is the idea of right living and living the way that God wants us to live. So Romans 2, 4 signals to this. It talks about how it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, that we cannot anger someone into loving Jesus. We love someone into loving Jesus. And if we are quick to anger, quick to speak, and slow to hear, then we are missing the point completely. And then that makes it easy for us to just put people in categories, to just say that we think we know someone because of you know, how they identify themselves, what it is that they look at, which, whatever it is, whether it's sports or whether it's politics, whatever it may be, we think we know someone because of a category that we've placed them in rather than taking the time to be slow enough to actually, before we speak, to be quick enough rather to listen and then to get to know them, to show them value and to be able to, in so doing, be able to show them who Jesus is. So if we get so angry at people and we know that doesn't produce righteousness, why do we get so angry with people who don't know Jesus yet? Again, we don't anger people back into the relationship with God. We love people into relationship with God. We speak truth and we do the truth in love. So green light is quick to listen. Yellow light, being slow to speak and slow to anger. And then the red light, what we need to stop doing is to stop rejecting the saving word. Then in verse 21, it says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. This idea of getting rid of is the idea of removing dirty garments from yourself. Like just get rid of it because it's soiled and you don't want it anymore. You don't go to the beach and get dirty and get sand everywhere. Take a clean shower and then put the same dirty clothes back on. You get rid of them. You put them away and you help them to be clean. So get rid of all this moral filth. Get rid of all these things that cause us to be slow to listen, be quick to speak, be quick to anger, and we miss the point altogether. And so and we cannot accept the saving word that he talks about at the end. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We cannot accept it until we remove, remove sorry, we remove that which stops us from hearing the word. So f- let me give a, a, a story when um, a couple of months ago, I've shared with you before that the most stressful time uh, of my day is when we're trying to get all the kids ready to go to school and I'm trying to get ready for work. And Steph is great because she helps a ton and try to get everything ready, but there's still just the stress of getting it all together. And so there was one morning uh, a couple months ago in which it was just Everyone was going slower than I wanted. Like, we're running late. Like, I have to drop Shaylin off at one school and then bring Elise here to preschool. And then I go to the office. And it was just getting stressful. I was getting upset. Like, we got to get going. Like, let's hurry up. And I remember it was we're parking there and they're getting inside the car. And I remember I'm buckling them in. And then, like, randomly, there's just like this snail on top of my car. And I remember just thinking, I don't even have time for this. I've seen Turbo. He'll have fun going fast. Like, it'll be fine. <laughs> and so we end up just like, we're just going to drive. And so we drive to, to the priest, or sorry, to the school. And I'm just getting, I'm upset and I'm stressed out and I'm just angry because I just, ugh, I hate being late, but yet I'm always like, it's just all this stuff. And we end up getting close to dropping off Shaylin. And so Shaylin's on, on the passenger, or sorry, the passenger side. And 
she's like roll, about to roll up her window in order to get uh, ready to go. She's like, dad, there's a snail here. And so the snail somehow had like migrated from like the driver's side door to the passenger door. I guess I was turning and like torque, I don't know, whatever. And it ends up like going on the side and it's like poking its little antennae in there. And she's like, what do I do? I'm like, I'm gonna go to school. And so she gets out of the, the um, the, the door, and she closes the door, and the snail, like, falls straight on the floor. And so Elisa's like, Daddy, there's a snail here. I'm like, I, I know. And uh, this is great. And I remember driving back, and I was just so, I was annoyed. I was frustrated. I'm trying to figure out, why is there a snail here? And I've shared with you guys before sometimes that sometimes the Lord has to give me something really practical in my life, like an example or an illustration for me to finally get what he's saying. And so this idea of, like, a whack-a-mole that would just try to, like, I need to be hit over the head with something. And so I'm driving, I'm sitting at a stoplight and I'm just thinking about like, man, this day's been crazy. And I'm like, why is there even, like there was a snail. And in that moment, I remember just thinking, I remember the Lord just kind of guiding and just being like, you know, what are, what are snails known from? Like being slow. And yet when that snail fell into the car, I wasn't yelling at the snail. I wasn't mad at the snail. And, and the Lord was like, why are you being more kind to a snail than you are to your daughters when they're slow? And then I just ran that red light because I didn't want to listen. So, um, <laughs> but no, it's this moment of then I go and I'm like, oh my gosh, and, and I'm, I feel so bad. And Elise and I come over here and we, I take the snail so gently and I'm like putting it down. And without thinking, I put it a snail in the area with the tan bark. So I mean, like, oh my gosh, it's covered in gook. And so I'm like bringing Elise over and we're like using like a little uh, like leaf to like scrape off every little thing. And it's just antennas still looking at me. And, and it's just this moment of like slowly trying to get rid of the filth. And what in that moment am I learning? I'm learning about this idea that I need to be quick to listen and to be encouraging. I need to be slow to speak and being slow to getting angry because sometimes God has to use a snail to teach me things. And then even when the snail was done and I had to clean it all up, it's this idea of getting rid of every single thing that would hinder that snail from living its best life. And for me, being able to recognize that I need to be able to get rid of all this stuff, whether it's just this just this evil anger, this frustration, whatever it is. Because again, me being mad at my girls doesn't make them want to be better. Human anger does not produce righteousness of God. Now, let me be clear. Are there times in which it is good for us to speak, right? Like it says slow to speak. It doesn't say stop speaking. That we need to be able to have a reason for the hope that we profess. We need to be able to be able to speak the truth in love. We need to be able to share the gospel and proclaim that. I'm not saying don't speak. I'm saying be slow to speak and be able to hear someone first. Also, are there times in which it's okay to be angry? Well, we see how Jesus was so mad when the, the people were making his father's house into a den of thieves, a den of robbers. So it's okay. There are times in which something angers us because sin should make us mad or injustice should make us mad. So I'm not saying to never be angry and I'm not saying to never speak because Ephesians 4 says not don't ever be angry. It says in your anger, do not sin. You can be angry and still not sin. Jesus was angry and he never sinned. And so it's one of these things in which we recognize we want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. But in the end, we need to be able to ask God to remove those things, every piece of tambark on our hearts that makes us, that sticks to us in which we just separate ourselves from what God has for us. That the stoplight in which God revealed that to me is something that reminds me, green, quick to hear, yellow, slow to speak in anger, 
and read to stop rejecting the saving word, to get rid of those things so I can receive it. Now we look at this idea of the stoplight. Now the next is the mirror, which is doing the word. And this is a core passage in James, but a core passage, um, especially in this passage, or sorry, in this chapter, but it's one that we've, we've heard many times. Let me read it here to you, verse 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word. So it says that the implanted word can save you, but right away, he doesn't want us to be deceived. Right away, he wants us to know that we cannot just listen. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So under the mirror, the idea of doing the word, that first note says, without looking into the mirror of the word, we get a distorted and deceptive reflection of our lives. We get a distorted and a deceptive reflection of our lives. While you're taking notes on that, this idea of a distorted, ref- distorted reflection. Uh, so we, my, my wife has uh, on her phone, she has the Snapchat app. I'm not going to say that fast. I'll butcher it. But she has a Snapchat app. And there's something where um, there's a lot of things about Snapchat you got to be careful with. And so what's fun with that, though, can be sometimes just the filters because there are these filters that are just ridiculous. And so in order, just instead of me just trying to explain it to you, uh, let me go ahead and show you a couple pictures of our daughter. So this one's uh, Shaylin. And so you just put the camera up to her and it like adds ears and a nose and you open your mouth and just creates this tongue. It's very appealing. Um, the next one is like Shay Elise and she just got this sweet little face, a little heart on her nose and these glasses and you know, these little ears. And so again, it's just super, it's super cute because, um, and because my wife, I love it because my wife, um, will take pictures of me while I'm sleeping, but loves me not enough to post them. It's a very delicate balance. And so if you look here, this is one that, um, happened while I was sleeping. <laughs> Uh, in which I had glasses and ears, which I already have glasses. I don't know what the point is, but um, all the little heart things. Anyways, and then the last one is from Steph. And so it's one where it's like, as we hold there for a second, what you'll notice is that the uh, Snapchat, like their filters, literally what they do is it like, it smooths out like your skin. It makes your, like your eyes just a little bit bigger. Like if you notice in Disney movies, like Disney princesses' eyes are usually bigger than their wrists. It's confusing. But it's one of those things where that's what we look at. I'm like, oh, that, that's great. And so it smooths things out. It, it makes it. And what's amazing is that what happens, this is something that started to develop because Snapchat, those are just funny filters. You should see all the ones that I didn't use for the illustration. But um, the point is, is that there's a very real thing that's happening now. That Instagram, or sorry, Snapchat has over 187 million daily users. Instagram has over 600 million daily users. And what's developing is this idea of Snapchat dysmorphia. What Snapchat dysmorphia is, it's, it's like um, other types of dysmorphia in which you look, in a, you look at yourself and you do not see reality. And there's food disorders that come from that, nervous and anxiety disorders that come from that. And so instead of it being body dysmorphia, it's Snapchat dysmorphia. And this is what it is. It's the idea that there are people who are taking pictures with these apps in which, as it talks about here, it can change your skin tone. It can soften the lines. It can soften your wrinkles. And it can alter the size of your eyes or your lips or your cheeks. And it can change various aspects of your physical appearance that it's fun for us to look at and we can look at, but... There are people who will go and they will take that to a plastic surgeon and said, make me look like this. 
in which that becomes something that they say, well, this must be what beauty is because this is where I'm getting likes. This is where I'm getting approval. This is where I'm getting value. And this is what Renee English, who's a professor of psychology at Northwestern University, this is what she says. She says that she's pointed out that the common man, get this, is losing perspective on what he or she actually looks like due to these two social media applications. So when we read this idea that someone who looks in the mirror forgets what they look like, if we spend all of our time looking in the mirror of our phone and social media and allowing that to dictate our identity, our value, and our likes, if we end up doing that, then it becomes something in which that's where we think we need to live and we allow that to distort what reality is. That we look here and that this main um, idea that I want to hit on is that without it, we get a distorted and deceptive reflection. That when people think that this is what beauty is, is an app that creates this different, these different looks. Can it be fun? Sure. Are there dangers with it? social media? Of course. I'm not saying do this. But I am saying that this is a very real thing that affects hundreds of millions of people across the world. And specifically, a few of those who will then look and say, I have dysmorphia. I forget what I actually look like because I feel like I need to look like this. And then when it comes to this deceptive view, not just a distorted view, but a deceptive view in verse 22 and later in verse 26, James says not to be deceived. And so the deceptive view is this idea. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this point, but when Jesus talks about in his very first sermon, it's a sermon on the Mount. And what he's doing is he's looking at parts of the law, parts of the word from the Old Testament. And he's saying, okay, you've, you've heard it said that, do not murder, but if you have anger in your heart, then you've already murdered someone, right? So he takes something that we've already heard, and then he actually reflects and shows us that through the word, we're actually much worse than we think we are. Because we say, I've never killed anybody, but have you held anger in your heart? I've never committed adultery, but have you lusted after someone? That I've never done these things, but he shows us the depth of that sin. And so Matthew 5, so much of Matthew 5 when Jesus is talking points us to the deceptive view that we all too often underestimate our own badness. We underestimate how bad we really are. And yet Matthew 6, right after that, he then talks about fasting and doing good deeds and giving to the needy. And he says, when you fast, don't proclaim it. Don't tell everybody. Don't try to think that you get your identity from doing good things. And so if Matthew 5 is about underestimating our own badness, Matthew 6 is about how we often overestimate our own goodness. And so if we don't have the word, if we don't have the law, if we don't have God's word as that mirror through which we see our own reflection, if we use the world's mirror, then we could get dysmorphia. We can think that we're okay. We can think that good things makes us good people. We can think that it's about our own deeds. We can fall into these traps and we can say, look, I'm getting approval. I'm getting likes. And I'm using the world as my barometer for my own identity. And yet, if we do that, we're going to miss the point and it's going to be a maybe a good life but we'll miss out on the great life of doing the word because by doing the word and looking intently at the mirror, because verse 23 talks about looking at the mirror as this idea of like kind of a cursory glance, like, okay, yeah, I'm fine. And then you keep walking by. Verse 25 talks about if you look intently into the mirror, if you look intently into the law, you'll get a 
not a distorted, but an accurate. Not a deceptive, but a true picture of yourself. And sometimes accurate and true pictures of ourselves are not ones we want to see at first. But sometimes we need to be honest with God and honest with his word in order to see where we are so that we can see where God needs to take us. And we look at this fact that sometimes the picture that we see is not what we want. That I'm going to show a picture from... um, uh, a friend's social media, as I just talk about Instagram, but there's no filter here. So I look up here, and this is my, that I'm on the left, as you can tell. This is the picture that I, someone took a picture of me, uh, he posted it, and I looked at him like, that was the moment I realized how much weight I had gained. That that was my pink shirt, that was like my power shirt, like I felt great in that shirt. And then it just kind of looked like someone had pumped like extra air into my belly button to just make me inflate. And I was like, oh man. Like that was the moment in which I was like, I need a change. Because sometimes we need to look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. But until we actually have an accurate depiction of what we see in a reflection, then we are able to know what changes need to be made. So we may not like it. But here's the thing. Verse 25, the little translation at the end when it says uh, they will be blessed in what they do. is like this person shall be blessed in his doing and the things that they do. Because by looking intently into the mirror, the word, we experience freedom and blessing. We experience freedom, freedom to not have to look at the world and how they define everything, freedom to know that God's definition of beauty or power or strength or love never changes because he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we build our foundation upon him, then we don't have to worry about that foundation ever changing. And so we get to be able to live our lives in freedom, knowing that it is for freedom that we have been set free, as Galatians 5 talks about. And we recognize that freedom is not the only thing we have, but we get blessing, the blessing of recognize that by doing the word and not just hearing it, we're living a great life and we're not settling for an oh so good one because it's oh so easy to do it. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. Many people have this mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon or Bible study is what makes them grow and get God's blessing. It is not the hearing but the doing that brings the blessing. Too many Christians mark their Bibles but their Bibles never mark them. And we look at this idea, we may not like what we look at in the mirror, but we can either look at the world's mirror or the word's mirror. Only one's going to have the words of eternal life. Only one's going to be able to give us our identity and our purpose. We may not like it, but we need to know where we are and need to know where we need to go with God. So we look at the stoplight, we look at the mirror, and this last few moments that I have with you this morning, I'm going to look at the idea of the true religion, and that's the idea of living the word. And so in order to write that down, as you're you're writing that down, I'm going to look at the last couple verses of James 1. It says this in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That in your notes, false religion believes that doing good things makes you good enough. This is the problem the Pharisees had, right? They thought that they were, oh, I fast twice a week and I give all of these things and I do all that stuff. And what Jesus says from Matthew 23 is that you were like whitewashed tombs. You were like a white sepulcher. On the outside, you might be clean, but the inside of the cup is dirty. You might be outside, you might look great, but inside, in case of a whitewashed tomb, there's death. 
And what good is there to polish the outside if the inside remains rotting and dying? And so he talks about this idea of it's not just about doing good things because we cannot bring our own righteousness for it is as filthy rags. We cannot present that to Jesus and have that be enough for us to find identity and eternal life with him. It's through throwing aside all that we have, laying at the foot of the cross, knowing he has the words of eternal life and recognizing that it is what Jesus has done that saves us, not anything that we could do. And yet, does that mean that we shouldn't do things? No. It means that there should be an overflow of what God has done in our life, that the Holy Spirit is bringing about the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that we should be able to see that there is fruit in our lives when the Holy Spirit's inside of us. And if we are doing that, we recognize it's not about our own goodness. It's about God's goodness, and he sees that he loves us, and he'll walk us through that in order to become more like him. The last point of your notes there is that true religion reveals our love for God through our words, our charity, and our purity. Our words, charity, purity. This is just what, this is what it says, that we must keep a tight ring on our tongues. Part of that is to be slow to speak, right? But when we do speak, are we saying things that Ephesians 4 talks about that are edifying, that are building up the body? Are we saying things to be cutting? Are we saying things to make ourselves look better? Are we trying to make ourselves feel good by letting other, making others feel worse? Are we speaking life into people? Are we just doing mindless chatter in which it doesn't actually amount to anything? I mean, what are we doing with our tongues? Are we keeping a tight rein on them? Because that's one of the ways that true religion is revealed, through our tongue, through our words, through our charity, through giving to people, to serving. To, it talks about, um, sorry, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It doesn't just mean to, to look from a distance. This word is the idea of to visit, to go see, to make sure that they're okay, to not just go from a distance, no, like I, I care about you, but to actually get to know someone well enough in order to truly know their needs, in order to truly know how to help, in order to truly know how to point them to the gospel. And then it's not just about doing good things from afar, that we look at the least of these passages in Matthew 25 in which Jesus talks about how, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you cared for me. This idea of visit and care for, it's that same word. And it's the idea we cannot do that from a distance. And so it's good for us to be able to, to write checks and be able to bless people across the world because we all can't go across the world. But we can go across the street. We can go across our workplace. And it's not enough just to write checks to keep things at a distance. It's that we need to get willing to know someone, even if they're different, maybe especially if they're different than us. Because you and I, we have never locked eyes on someone that God didn't create, that Jesus didn't die for, and that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to draw close to the Father. And so are we putting people in categories and boxes and not even allowing us to get to know them because we think we know them because they're in a category or a box. But instead, God might be wanting to use you to show them through your words, through your charity, through your love, who Jesus truly is. And then lastly, the idea of not being defiled by the world or polluted by the world, that the idea of purity, that this idea goes back to the Old Testament uh, lamb sacrifices that were meant to be unblemished. 
that we were to offer up, or they were to offer up an unblemished sacrifice, that our Lord Jesus was an unblemished sacrifice without fault, and that because of that, he laid down his life as a sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because it's only an unblemished sacrifice that is honorable to God. He deserves our best because he gave his best, and he gave us everything in the first place. And so when we look at this idea that we are to be unpolluted, unspotted, according to the way the world works. So we don't look at the world as our mirror. We look at the word as our mirror. We don't just get quick to anger. No, we are slow to anger. We are different because God has made a difference in us. And so if we look at this passage, we don't want to be deceived. We want to know the truth. And sometimes my hope is that you don't listen to the sermon and you say, oh, that was a good sermon or that wasn't a great sermon or that was a mediocre sermon. That's not the point. My hope is that if you hear this sermon and it stirs something in you, it doesn't mean that you just get it, go one ear out the other and you forget about God's word for the next week. That maybe for you, you need to take some time to read the book of James. Maybe you read the book of James throughout this week. Maybe you read this book of James every day this week. Maybe you start when July 1st hits and you start reading a proverb a day in order to get God's word into you. I don't know what that looks like for each and every one of you, but there must be something, not just say, oh, that was nice, and we go about our lives just to wait another 167 hours in which we sit in our comfy brown chairs and do it all over again. Francis Chan gives this illustration in his video series called Basic, in which he's talking about the idea of listening to God and obeying what God is saying. And he talks about this. He says, let's imagine my daughter comes to me, and I say to my daughter, hey, honey, uh, I want you to go clean your room. She knows better than to come back to me a couple hours and say, Daddy, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean my room. Yeah, that's not going to fly, he says. He says, so she goes back another time, and a couple hours later, she says, Dad, guess what? I learned how to say, go clean your room in Greek. He's like, that's not what I want. I'm not going to say, good job learning that. I'm going to say, no, go clean your room. That's what I'm asking you to do. And then he's, what if she says, Daddy, I'm going to invite other people, my friends over, and we're going to talk about what it would look like if I clean my room. <laughs> and he says, honey, go clean your room. It's not about being able to talk about it, think about it, you know, process with other people. Yeah, we do that. But at the end of the day, we have to do something. That hearing the word is good. I'm not saying stop that. I'm saying surround yourself with God's word. Listen to preachers. Go to Bible studies. Listen to this worship song. I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying that's good, but doing it is great. And I don't want anyone in our congregation, including me, including you, in order to be one of the people who is a Christian who lives a good life and will never experience a great life because we think that a good life is good enough. Hearing in and of itself is not enough. We need to do the hard work to move from our ears to our hearts to our hands to do something about it. Because if we end up just being comfortable and, and we could say we could do good things and we could hope that we just get God clapping for us at the end and saying, "Add a boy, add a girl. But if the extent and the summation and totality of our faith is that we heard good sermons and never preached a sermon with the way we live. Never did anything about it. Never cared for those who were broken. And we missed the point. And 
just as Jim Collins started as we talked to begin the sermon, we might look back on our lives and have to accept a horrifying truth. That we could have lived a life that was for the glory of God, that was great, and that we did something about what he's done for us. We lived that word. We did that word. And yes, we heard it, but we didn't let it stop at the hearing. We just kept going until we were doing it and living it and sharing it with those around us. And if we do that, there is not a workplace that's represented here. There is not a school that is represented by the people in this congregation. There is not a neighborhood. There is not a group or a club or wherever you're part of. There is not anything that would be unimpacted by the gospel, that if we do this, we are all able to share God's word through our words, our actions, and our purity. And we're able to see lives being changed, those far from him brought near to him, so they may have a right relationship with him, so they too can look in a mirror and not see the filth that they once did, just like we don't see the filth that we once were, but that we could say that we are God's children whom he loves how great the love of the Father is lavished upon us that we might be called children of God, and that is what we are. Not because what we've done, because what Jesus has done, how we can receive it, how we can hear it, we can do it, and we can live it out to those around us so they can experience not a good life, a great one. Father, we're thankful so much for who you are, and God, I, I pray, Lord, that as we are finishing up the sermon this morning, God, that you would be stirring something within us, God. I pray that as we hear your word, that it would not just stop at the hearing, but that it would move to the doing and that we would live it out. God, hearing the word, people who are here today or listening online, online later, it is good to hear your word, Lord, but doing it is great. May we not be Christians or believers who will never live a great life because we think that a good life is, quote, good enough because it's not. You've called us to so much more. You've created us for so much more. That we are your workmanship and your masterpiece to be able to do the works that you've created us for in the first place. And so, God, I pray that we would not just let this be the end of this passage in our lives, but that you would continue to work in us and through us and that your word would be growing in us, not just on a Sunday morning for an hour, but throughout the other 167 hours of the week. So God, may you be glorified and may we live lives that are great, not so that we get credit, but so that you get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.